online family of, of Nexus Church and uh, to those who are joining us as visitors today, thank you for joining us. We're so honored that you would join us. Um, I'm just going to have a couple of quick announcements as I'm sure you all have uh, Easter plans that you want to get to. Uh, but right after church today, uh, for those of you who want to join, we still are going to be having our Zoom meeting. I posted it on Facebook. I also emailed out the link uh, today. I believe there is no uh, password to get in, so you can just join. And uh, as soon as I get done with the message, I will be jumping on to, to be there as well. So um, just a reminder for that, uh, we'll be doing that as long as we are not able to join. So uh, just please, if you uh, could join us uh, through our Zoom meetings, that's the way that we can join at least to connect that way. Um, and then uh, today we have a special service for uh, those who are joining. Um, I kind of sent out an email and also a little uh, Facebook post, but uh, for those of you uh, who want to join at the end of service, we will be taking communion together. And so I realize that that's going to be kind of different. We've never done it this way before, um, but uh, I, I sent out a little reminder saying to have some kind of bread, to have some kind of beverage available. Uh, we'll be taking it here as as the team uh, that's assembled today. And I remember we're under 10, so we're, we're legal. Um, but uh, to, to do this as a family. So when we get to the end of the message today, uh, I'll read the scriptures, I'll do the prayer, and at that point, the video will be stopped, and uh, you guys will go and take communion as a family, and we'll take a communion as a church family that's assembled here today. And so I wanted to uh, just let you know uh, that that's coming down the pike for those of you who weren't uh, maybe seeing that that email or that post. Um, and then lastly, I just can't thank you all enough for your continued support. I realize in these difficult times and your schedules being changed and not being able to come together and, and to give in the offering uh, like we've normally done, uh, your continued support. Many of you have signed up to give online, and some of you have even done a reoccurring um, pledge through online giving. Thank you so much for that. That means a ton as we have still bills to pay, but more importantly, we still have ministry to do to our community and our missions giving that we have. And so your continued support allows us to be able to still give in missions and still reach out to our community. And so thank you so much for that. And uh, we appreciate it so very much. Uh, if you can't give online, uh, just a reminder that anytime you see my vehicle out here, the door is most likely open. If not, I, I might have just uh, taken a drive with my wife to go get lunch or something, but I'll be back uh, shortly. And so you can just give in the donation box in the back like we've had, or you can always uh, give uh, through the mail. Uh, our address here is 246 Kendall Avenue North and then Thief River Falls, Minnesota, 56701. So 246, I like that. That was always easy to remember when we first came. And Kendall Avenue North. So thank you all so much again for your giving. Today, I just want to open up in prayer. Uh, today is such a special day. Um, we're making history today. It is the first time in all of history that the church hasn't met on Resurrection Sunday. And so we are having our very first digital Easter ever in the history of the church and uh, so we're making history, even though it's not the kind of history we want to make, and hopefully we'll never have to do it ever again. But uh, I felt like it was just appropriate today to open up in prayer and thank 
the Lord that we can still have service, even though it might not be the way we want it. Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you that the government has allowed us to continue to provide a service, that they haven't said that uh, the church uh, leaders and, and worship leaders and pastors uh, can't come to church on a Sunday morning to provide for uh, their congregation, that we still have that opportunity. I thank you for that. I thank you for everybody who is following us on Facebook or online today somehow, Father, that they have joined us. And I pray your blessing over them, Father. I pray your favor over them. And as we meet together, uh, maybe many of us meeting our families through Zoom today, not the way we would anticipate how we would join together to celebrate this amazing day. Father, what was sadness on Good Friday was joy on Easter Sunday. And though we may be living in a trying times, Father, we know the victory is yours. And so today we look at anticipation, Father, for the true joy that we have, and that being eternal life. And so fix our eyes back where they belong today on you, Jesus. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. So the events from the previous day kept her up. All night. All the memories, all the thoughts haunted her as she remembered what had just occurred. And so being that she couldn't sleep all night, she decided to get up well before the light rose. And for some odd reason, she really didn't know why she had to go back. She had to go back where they last saw his body laid in the tomb. And as she approached that early morning, barely able to see where to walk, she approached the tomb into her disbelief. The stone was rolled away. And she knew in that moment that he was gone. But for Mary... Her thoughts immediately went to somebody stole him. Her life would be forever changed. But in that moment, she, like many of us, had her life turned into panic. And today, we want to turn our eyes to how we can, in the midst of our lives today, where we are standing today in history, we want to turn our eyes back on Jesus. You see, so many people are looking for answers today. So many people are looking for hope. They're looking for some kind of answers to what do we do now, and we have that answer today. And so in our time together, I want to help us encounter the same Jesus that not only did Mary end up encountering, but thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people for the last 2,000 plus years have encountered that resurrected Savior. And when we encounter that resurrected Savior, He will transform your life. And so today we are going to be looking at John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. And so if you have your devices 
opened up, or if you have a Bible with you, we'll be reading John chapter 20 from the English Standard Version. And so I'll allow you to turn to your Bibles at this point. And so we're reading the story of Mary Magdalene. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. (laughs) She never entered. She just saw the stone was rolled away. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I just want to pause there for a moment. Okay, put yourself into Mary's shoes. Again, she's tired, hasn't slept maybe for two days. On Good Friday, she goes to bed, tries to sleep, but of course, her, her mind is racing, right? This man that she spent a few years with, maybe a year, the one who saved her from a, a horrific life, a lost life, the one who taught her so much how to love and how to live and how to have freedom and joy, the one who who taught how to to truly walk as God would walk. The one who healed many, performed miracles. The one who everybody thought would dethrone the Roman government and create once again this, this people of God who could freely worship. This man was gone. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was put up on a cross and and died. He wasn't supposed to die, right? He was supposed to live forever and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth as they were taught. And then as you approach the tomb after all of that hope was vanished, not only had all your hope vanished, but now they had taken this man can't imagine the kind of panic that she was experiencing. And so she did the only thing that she knew, and honestly, probably what most of us would do, is she sees this open tomb. She thinks the Savior has been stolen by some thieves. And so she runs back to tell others so that together they could figure out who took him and where they took him. It's the only thing they had left of their Savior was the fact that he was put in peace in a tomb where he could, could spend the rest of his existence, I guess. It was the only thing they had left. So she runs back to tell the disciples, and the two she found were John and Peter. So verse 3 will continue. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen, linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other linen clothes, but folded in place by itself. Uh, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, whereas yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Pause there. I love the detail of this section, right? I mean, think of this. These disciples are like, what? They took him. (laughs) Excuse me. We're going to go back. We're going to find him. We're going to, we're going to figure this out. And so the adrenaline, I mean, it was early in the morning. I'm guessing that by the time Mary got back up, maybe the sun had risen, right? It was, it was early in the morning. So they're bolting. The adrenaline's racing. And I just love how, how John is like so honest, right? Like I won the race. The, the adrenaline was pumping. I'm the younger guy and I got there first. But not only was John kind of boastful in a sense he was also vulnerable that's what i like about this john there's something about john's gospel that is just full of emotion john seems to have been a very emotional man and and as he gets to the tomb he 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 shares with his readers he froze He gets to the tomb, he looks in, and he freezes. Somebody did not steal the Savior. And as Peter walks in and John follows, the Holy Spirit seems to enlighten them in that moment. And for the first time, after walking with Jesus all those years, seeing all that he did, they never fully understood. The moment they walked in, they understood. They saw everything. They saw the evidence. Everything put perfectly in place. Somebody didn't come and rob him. This is exactly what he said would happen. He would resurrect. And in that moment, they believed. The resurrection transformed John and Peter. And God did it through all of the teachings that they had heard. All the miracles that they had seen. The lives that were transformed before their eyes. It came upon them and they were transformed. The resurrection transformed them. But what about Mary? Poor Mary, you know, I'm assuming she probably finally arrived on the scene. They had already been in. They already believed the resurrection transformed them. They were happy, like, oh, everything's good. And they just start walking back. They never told Mary. Here's poor Mary sitting there like, I just told you guys somebody stole him. And now you're walking back and you're happy and you're everything's okay. What's going on here? As far as we know. They never told her. So here she is sitting at the tomb. In verse 11, we read. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, absolutely confused. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. 
and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She did not know that it was Jesus. Of course, she's bawling her eyes out. And if you've ever cried hard enough, you know the burning sensation she can't see. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, imagine what that must have been like. The resurrected Savior was in front of the one whose life was changed. But now he goes even further. And he gives her the opportunity for salvation. She's turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he has said these things to me. Mary encountered the resurrected Savior, and it transformed her. She was never the same in that moment. That hope that was lost on Friday, that hope that Jesus would somehow come down from that cross, he would, he would conquer that, that beating, he would conquer that torture, he would conquer that shame. That was lost on that Friday, but it came back to life Sunday morning. Came back to life because the resurrected Savior transforms lives. And that's what he's about today. He wants to transform lives. Maybe today you can relate to what Mary and the disciples had experienced. Maybe you've experienced that loss. It's my goal today to help every single person either remember what that resurrected Savior has done for you and how He has transformed your life or help you experience for the first time in your life the power and the transformation of the resurrected Savior. Because as you read through Scripture, and we'll look at this a little bit more next week, every time a person encounters the resurrected Savior, they have a choice to make. And that choice is either to encounter the resurrected Savior and allow Him to transform you, or to reject the resurrected Savior. The only two options you have. You don't put them up on a shelf and say, I'll think about it. No, he, he will transform you. And that is what we have in today's passage. And it happens in countless lives. And 
And man, this is, this is the kind of service where I would just absolutely love for everybody to come up and we could have stories of people who have experienced the transformation of the resurrected Savior, but we're not in that situation. And so this week, what I want to propose to those who are listening is to share that transformation that you've experienced from the resurrected Savior. Today, I want you to remember how God has changed your life. To take that moment, I know many of you will be spending time with family and friends in very small settings, in safe settings. But take a moment in this day and remember what has God done for you. Maybe it was a a massive transformation. Maybe it seems menial and insignificant. But I want to tell you today, it's not menial and it's not insignificant. Whatever God has done in your life is massive. It has taken you from a life of going down the direction towards eternity separated from God and taking you to a place where you will spend eternity with God. Separation from God where you experience the wrath and the torture of eternity to a place of peace and joy. Transformation happened like it did for Mary where she was experiencing so much fear, so much confusion, so much loss. Or it can transform an angry person. Today, for just a brief moment, I know many people have heard my story, but I want to give you kind of a, of a outline of how you can share your story this week. And I encourage you to take a video, to put it up on Facebook or to share it with myself or somebody else so that we can share it for you or even just write it down and share it. I would love for us as a church family to share our stories together. And so maybe you don't feel comfortable putting it up on Facebook or put it on some kind of platform, but maybe, maybe we can write it down. And when we get to finally come back together again, we can share these transformational stories. And so let me give you an outline of, of what that looks like so that you can share that with others. Because here's the thing about your story. There's a lot of things that that people argue against Christianity and, and they try to disprove the reality of God. But one thing that they can never, ever, ever argue, and that is how God has changed your life. They cannot argue that. Your story is your story. And what God has done inside of you, nobody can take that away. And so I encourage you to share your story. My story begins when I was a child. And let me tell you, before I go any further, I realize that this is a personal thing. And I understand that my family is probably watching today. And I want to make very clear that my parents are amazing people, that my relatives are amazing people. But I come from a background of very insecure people, very troubled lives. It's just a heritage of passing down from generation to generation of dysfunction. And I grew up in a family where alcohol was a big part of my family. Anger was a big part of my family. Losing of tempers was a big part. Um, Calling people degrading things was just part of our life. 
It happened more often than building up by far. So I come from a background where I was afraid of my father. In fact, people could see it when my dad would raise his hand and I would cower because I was scared. I was afraid. And over the years, that fear bred into anger. It created a shell around me where I wanted to hide my feelings. Because if I shared what was going on inside of me, I was either afraid that it would cause me to lose my family or worse, it would cause me to be degraded even further. There was no emotions that I could share. Now, the problem comes in is when you go to school and you go to a big school in a big city when you're from a small town. And let me tell you, people that are victims have a victim mentality. And people pick on that big time in a big school. And so I carried that victim mentality right to my school where the teasing, the degrading, and the beating continued. And I had an hour and a half bus ride of beatings and ridicule. That was my story. But Jesus gave me an opportunity. And here's what I know about Jesus. He gives everybody an opportunity to encounter the resurrected Savior. And he gave me that opportunity when I was a teenager. When I was 14 years old, I'll never forget. My mom gave me the decision to either stay in the house and clean and be a part of the family of taking care of things or go outside and play. Well, I didn't really want to go outside, and so I decided to stay in the house. Well, she gave me another option, and that was to watch the preacher, who was a lady, on TV. And I'll never forget when I heard the story of the resurrected king that came to save on Good Friday and Easter. When I heard that message, now, We were Lutherans, but we never went to church other than maybe for once in a while a funeral, once in a while a wedding. I had no idea what church was. I knew there was a God, but that was about it. And when I heard of what Jesus did for me on Good Friday, that he took the pain for me that I deserved for the bad things I had done, when I heard that, The first time in my life, I heard that I mattered. Never heard that before. I was always told, you're worthless. You're not good enough. You never make it. Keep trying. You can do better. That's what I heard. But Jesus put worth inside of me. But even more than he believed in me and he had, had this, this love for me that I mattered, he forgave me. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Anybody who's ever come from a lifestyle that I came from of anger and beating and fear, I was recreating that in my own life. And I had so much anger, so much. I hated myself. I couldn't stand who I was. I didn't want to live anymore. I wanted to be done with that. When I knew that I was forgiven, that that Jesus took everything that I deserved, I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Because I knew I deserved 
punishment. It's the life I lived. And so the, the, the mixture of, of Jesus forgiving me, believing in me, it, it transformed my life. I could be forgiven. I could have hope and I could have a purpose. That I had a future that radically transformed my life. And in that moment when I trusted and put my faith in Jesus, my life was never the same. And from that day on, I knew that my job in life was to give everything back to him. Because I knew the path I was going down was alcohol, prison, because I would have probably killed somebody at some point. And if I ever had the chance of having a family, I knew I would have been divorced and my kids would have hated me. And I would have been separated from anything that could have ever brought me joy. That was the path I was heading down. But Jesus changed me and I gave my all to him. I told him I would do anything but be a missionary or a pastor. And unfortunately, he said, you're going to be a pastor. But I said, I would do it. And there's many days where I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have because it would be easier being something else. But that's what transformation life looks like. When God comes in, you will do anything for him. Because he changes your trajectory from eternal wrath to eternal purpose. Purpose of knowing him and being known by him. It's radical. And so what I want to ask you today is what is your story? Your story, you may think... It's way worse than yours, Luke. <laughs> and it probably is. Some of you may say, wow, I, I've grown up in a, in a Christian home. I've, I've had a loving family. Life has been good. I don't even know what a transformation looks like. Let me tell you, when you encounter the resurrected Savior, you know it. And you may think, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's huge. Because what God does inside of you is he transforms you from a, of a life of duty, of this is what I do because I'm a pastor's kid or, or whatever it might be. This is, this is how I live. It goes from, from this is what I'm supposed to do to this is what I want to do because God has changed me and he's given me a purpose. And I know there's so much more to life than just having to do that. And so what I want you to do is I want you to share that. You see, when Jesus does something in you, he's, he's giving you new life. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, and I just keep coming back to this over and over again. If you've encountered a resurrected Savior, you are a new creation. You're a new person. You're a new man. You're a new woman. Everything that you used to be is gone. You are a new person. God creates you alive. And now, just like as Paul says to the Philippians, you want to press on to that goal of becoming more like him. Not that you have to be perfect like him, but that every day you want to press in and continue to allow his, his Holy Spirit to transform you. We'll dig into this a little bit more next week. And, and what does a transformational life look like? And how can you go further in that? But it begins. It begins when you allow God to come inside resurrect you bring you to life that encounter with him what does that look like how has god changed you share that it's a powerful story that nobody can take away now for some of you today i realize that you haven't encountered this this resurrected jesus you haven't experienced that transformation. And today, I want to give you that opportunity because here's the, here's the important thing you have to understand. 
when when I was a kid and, and I didn't understand the difference between what a what a Christian and what a born again Christian is. When I didn't understand that difference, I just thought that man, if you believe in God, you'll be in heaven someday. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says very clearly that we're sinners. That every single one of us make a mistake. That's that's kind of par for who we are as humans. But what's more important, and this is found in, in Romans 6.23, is that one sin, one lie, one failure, that, that will forever send you to eternity separated from the love of God. In fact, we read in the Bible of, of where this place is and, and it's called Hades or hell. It's separation from God from all eternity where, you see, God is a just God. He will, he will make all things right. And, and he punishes sin. And so we, we, we call that the wrath of God. And that's where that eternity separated from God is. It's eternal hell. Pain, suffering, everything that we want freedom from is there. But here's the beautiful thing. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross on that, on that Good Friday, which was anything but good. He took the wrath of God. That, that powerful saying that's, that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in that moment that the wrath of God came down upon Jesus and he took the wrath that is destined for you and me if we do not receive the love of God. If we do not receive that forgiveness, that was the wrath of God coming down on Jesus. And he took it. And he took it and he only needed to do it one time. He took that wrath. But here's the, the second step. If he took that wrath, that was wonderful, that was good, but he was put in a grave. The wrath was with him. But that's what Easter is all about. That's what resurrection is all about. Because when Jesus came out of that grave and he conquered death, he conquered that wrath, he gave us access to be with the Father because he, he took it and he conquered it. He is victorious he has risen and he's given you access to be with the Father. Now you don't have to receive the wrath of God. You can receive the love of God. Because Jesus' blood was poured out and he covers you. And now all that the Father sees is his Son in you. You are forgiven. But you have to, you have to do something very simple but something very powerful and important. And for those of you who today who have never received Jesus as their Savior, you have to, first and foremost, you have to believe that what happened on Easter is true. What happened on Good Friday really did happen, that Jesus died for your sin, that he was a real person, that was a perfect person, the only person who could ever take your sins upon himself. You have to believe that. You have to believe that he rose from the grave and that he conquered death. You have to believe that. You have to believe that he has the power to make you right with God. If you believe that, the second step is equally as important and probably just as hard. That is, you have to confess your sins. You have to admit that you've made mistakes. And then you have to 
ask for God to forgive you. You have to repent. You have to turn from those sins and turn to God. And if you do that, if you confess that He is Lord, He will forgive you. And so today, maybe that's your decision. Maybe you say yes. A simple prayer of saying, Jesus, I believe that you, you took my sin upon you, that you conquered death, and you're making me right with the Father. I believe that today. And tell Jesus that. Tell him, I believe and I confess I've messed up. I need your forgiveness. And I want to, here's the important part, I want to make you leader of my life. I give you control of my life. I want to be transformed by you. And tune in next week and we'll learn more what that means. What does it mean to, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus now. How, what do I do with this? How do, I, how do I live my life? How do I be a part of the church? How do I, how do I be a conqueror? We'll learn that next week. But first, you need to encounter that resurrected Savior because He will transform your life. He will give you purpose. And today, the only thing I ask of you is that you share that. You let us know. You message us. You text. You call. You do whatever it is that you can do so that we can know, so that we can come alongside you as your church family or if you're not from our church or you're not in our town where you could go to our church, find a church and let them know. Let them know that you've given your life to Jesus. You've made him the, the Lord of your life, the, the best friend that you will ever have. Let them know. And, and we want you to have someone come alongside of you so that you can have strength when the times get tough and you're confused and you don't know what to do. And, and this Bible seems so hard to understand. You need people around you to walk with you. And so share that. Ask, ask for help. And we want to help you to be successful. Well, today we are going to celebrate this, this resurrected king together. In the Bible, we read that we are to, to remember what Jesus had done has done for us. And so today, we're going to read the scriptures like I said before. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read that. And I'm going to say a prayer, and then you are going to take communion with your family. We're going to take it together as, as our worship team is concerned, but you're going to take it with your family. And the reason why we take communion during Easter, it's more typical on Good Friday that we take it, but we're going to take it on Easter because we're going to remember what Jesus did, that his body was broke for us. And his blood was shed so that we could be right with the Father. And so we do this on occasion, not every Sunday, but especially I enjoy doing it on Easter. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, and then I'll pray, and then we'll end the service uh, on live stream, and then you guys will take communion. You'll pray. You'll ask maybe for yourselves to, to, to seek where you need to maybe confess some things to the Father and maybe confess things to each other, and then you can take communion together. And so 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that, that the cross wasn't the end. The grave wasn't the end. In fact, there is no end because we get to be with you forever. And Father, for those who maybe have experienced the transformation of the resurrected Savior today for the first time, Father, they are taking this communion, Father, for the first time being saved, being part of the family of God. Father, we celebrate with them. We wish that they could be here with us today and that we could join together and, and together take this communion, Father. But, Father, we do it in spirit. And, Father, we do it knowing that you are there with them and you will bless them. So, Father, as we remember what you have done for us, we thank you that you have allowed us access to be with the Father, that the Father and us can have direct connection because of what you did on the cross. Your blood has poured out on us, and the Father sees you in us. What a beautiful gift. And so, Father, as we take this together as a family, Father, I pray your blessing over your people. You will go with your people. You will protect your people, and your favor and your face will shine upon them this week. And as we come together next week again to learn more about what this transformational life looks like, I pray that your people will draw near to you this week, more near than they ever have before. In Jesus' name, amen. Nexus Church family, we thank you so much for joining, and we will see you next Sunday.